Welcome to the Master Your Inner Game podcast with me, your host, Drew Braun. I was really passionate about setting up a series of conversations which I felt would offer identification, hope, strength, and a guiding light to many. Mastering your inner game is not an easy path. It's not one that's about achieving money or status. It's about constantly looking in the mirror and improving the areas of ourselves that are stopping us, prohibiting us from fulfilling who we are at a core level. In relationships, in business, in sport, in all areas of our lives. There are many tools used when trying to become the best version of ourselves. Honesty and vulnerability, two of the most powerful. To be completely authentic. If there's one thing I've learned about my journey of nearly 30 years now in professional sport and self-development, it's that being truly authentic is the key. If you feel inspired, get identification, or feel passionate about anything you've heard here in these conversations, then please reach out to me. Also, use your own social media to spread the message. The true strength, true performance, lies in honesty, authenticity, and vulnerability. Enjoy listening. Today, I'm excited about this conversation. I'm, I'm sitting with uh, a guy who's had a great career. Um, I don't know, Luke, if you if you can relate to this, but oftentimes in football, you retire and you look back and it's like, what I could have done. And, and actually, when you look at your Wikipedia of clubs and what you've achieved, it's top class. Um, the amount of games you've played in 460 games um, across predominantly the two top divisions, which is anyone who knows the championship will know that league is a tough, tough league to play in. So, you know, and the Premier League, of course, um, so really, where I wanted to start, I had an idea of where I wanted to start. And then we were talking before I started. And you said a comment about your time more recently when you were working in academies. And you said there wasn't enough smiles. And I wrote that down because I thought, what a brilliant place to start. So here you are now at 39 saying, Look, looking in these academy systems, there isn't enough smiles. You were smiling when you were 10, 11, 12 playing football. Um, let's start there. So. It was fun, right? Yeah, I think that's that's what the game is, isn't it? I think when you stop, when it stops being fun, and I'm sure you've experienced that in some stage of your career, like I have, it don't feel like the best job in the world. What it what it should be. I think as a kid, I fell in love with the game probably after going to watch my first live game as a six, seven year old when my dad took me to the Abbey Stadium to watch Cambridge United, and just being inside that stadium so close to the players, the crowd, the atmosphere. I was just hooked on it from then. And that, from that moment on, I knew that's what I wanted to be part of that. I wanted to be one of them superheroes that I saw on the pitch. I wanted that to be me one day. And fortunately, I did have that opportunity for it to happen. I think it sort of feels a lot different as you get older. You certainly don't feel like a superhero on the pitch. But to, to have experienced that and to sort of look back, probably what I'm most proud of in my life is not the games and everything that I've done, but actually living my dream and doing what I, I set out to do and actually becoming a professional football player. I think you said something really interesting there. That, that it's a drug, isn't it? It's intoxicating when you're a kid and it hits you. You were in the Abbey Stadium, you got that. I was eight years of age. On my eighth birthday, I went to watch Luton Liverpool. Luton was my local club and, and Liverpool rolled to town and Luton won 4-1 against the Dalgleish side and Hansons. And I remember just, you know, Kenilworth Road, as I'm sure you played there, when it's tight to the pitch and the crowd. Yeah. I remember just all those classic things. You can smell the burgers and all that stuff. But it was, it's intoxicating. Um, it's a drug. And, and, and I actually think it's an interesting place to go with it because 
obviously my journey leading me to bottoming out and going to rehab, you actually look, they say any drug is something that's a mood alterer. Now, no one talks about, people talk about alcohol and drugs, but, but football for me and the emotions that it creates and the, what it can do to you on that level, it's the biggest drug I, I ever sampled. Um, and you got that hook at 11 years of age. Yeah, and I'm not sure, obviously, drug is not always a healthy thing either. I know I, you had problems going into the sporting chance. I've struggled a lot since finishing playing. It's something that you can't stop mm. doing. I still play now for the, for the local village team, for the local pub team on a Saturday afternoon. I play, obviously, I'm not, I'm not as good, but I run around like I did when I was a professional player because I just love that adrenaline of running around the pitch and just being part of a team. It is, it is a drug like you're saying it is it makes you feel so incredible at times I think as a professional it can make you feel awful as well at times the same game that you love so much well, let's, it is well, let's, let's go there because obviously let's so 11 12 13 years of age you're you're, you're playing you're playing at, you, you were born in Cambridge but you were playing in that area for Sunday team like we all did you then got I read that you were spotted playing for Arsenal so what age did you join Arsenal so I joined Arsenal as a under 13 player, I played for Arsenal as a year in the centre of excellence and under 13 player. I wouldn't say that I, I loved going there. It was a case of I lived in Cambridge, so I'd have to get the train. We trained at Highbury. There was a little indoor area at Highbury with trains, so I'd have to get the, the train to Finsbury Park and then go to Highbury or someone would drive me to, to Highbury. It, it used to be a bit of a pain because I was so young. All I wanted to do was really play with my mates. I remember one time the my mum's car broke on the way there and she was absolutely fuming, but I was sort of half happy because it saved me going all the way to Arsenal and getting home at, at 10 o'clock at night. Don't get me wrong, it's a fantastic football club, but I think at that age I was just more interested in the game itself, not who I was actually playing for. It was more a case of just having a ball with me, playing with my mates on my own, whatever. I just loved playing football and it just seemed like a bit of a hassle to go over to Arsenal to do the training or the games. So you found yourself at Arsenal and then, and then you got spotted playing in a game, right? You see, what, were you 14 then? When, when Manchester United yes. spotted you? So I would have got spotted. It's probably the same for you. When we were coming through, you'd play for your, your district, your school's team on a Saturday and that was sort of the, the big football you'd played in. So that was playing for them. I was scoring a fair few goals and my reputation was growing and that's when a scout from Manchester United spotted me and I was invited up for a, for a week in the school holidays, like a trial week to stay with a, a load of other lads in the hotel, train with each other, train with the scholars and then we'd have a game at the end of the week and then you'd find out how you'd get signed. You just triggered something. How was the game at the end of the week for you? The game, the whole thing was amazing. It was, it was a bit strange really because I was such a a quiet, shy lad. I really hate being taken out of my comfort zone and sort of going there. But because it was Man United, I was sort of buzzing that going up there because it was huge at the time. Man United was massive. And the second I got there, I just fell in love with it. You were made to feel so welcome. And even me as a real quiet lad, so comfortable. The second that I went in there, the whole week was... I just loved it. I fell in love with it, which obviously helped me in my performance. And I played really well in the the game at the end of the week at Littleton Road, the game, and I got dropped off with the other. There's probably about 15, 16 talented boys from all over Britain staying in this hotel, having a trial. And then by the time I got home, got off the train at the little village where I lived, 
my mum picked me up and said that Sir Alex Ferguson had phoned her up. He was watching this under-14s game against Nottingham Forest and asked me, and it topped off like what was the most incredible dream of a week that I've ever had. Now, that was all because nothing to do with the exceptional tactical detail you were given by the staff there. It was because how they made you feel, how this football club, this incredible organisation made you feel as a person. And that's what won me over probably a day after stepping my first experience at Manchester United. It's incredible, mate. It's really powerful. Um, so there's two things that jumped out at me there. You, you, you must have said the word love about 10 times, which, which I totally relate to. I think it's great. Why wouldn't you love the game? Why wouldn't you love that experience? Why wouldn't you love everything about that? And making you feel as a person. So those two words, love and feel. As you then, let's fast forward. So you then join Man United, you're a scholar. When did, when can you remember that that love was starting to be affected, that you were feeling, those two words, when were you feeling a little different about your experience as a player? Can you remember? I think like the, the, them scholar years, them YTS years, I think most players say it was the best years of their life. You've just left school doing lessons every day to doing something you love every day physically it's really tough but just having that camaraderie with these lads you're all together you're all going through this experience together that was incredible it's so incredible them two years and I went off to Belgium for a spell on loan in Belgium and that was my first experience of first team football I scored on my debut and the, the crowd was singing my name there were firecrackers and smoke bombs and all that in the state it was it was in, amazing to be like that European atmosphere and I'll come back and I went straight into the first-team squad, started getting a few games. And I think then it started to hit me a bit where I started to realise it was never really about being famous. I was quite naive. I thought it was all just going to be playing football. I, I was really uncomfortable with people knowing who I was. And I think that was sort of a negative for me because I've, I spoke about recently in the press about the attention I got was not a bit, it was probably about the way I looked more than I played football. And then I, I never fell out of love with a game, but the other side of it, I'm thinking, I ain't enjoying this. I don't like it. I don't like anyone knowing it was sort of making my life away from the training ground, something that I weren't enjoying at all. But because I was quiet, not because I was quiet and shy, because I didn't know myself well enough. I didn't have any real emotional intelligence. I just kept everything because I thought that's what you've done, just suck it up and get on with it and so probably that's when my experience started turning what should have been playing for the best team in the world winning the league would have been the best time of my life on and off the pitch was probably turning into a real sour point of how I was living off the pitch. Can you remember going back into the feelings when and, 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 and yeah I touched on the article that you wrote recently which really you know reminded me of your journey, Rich, which made me reach out to you because it was very powerful. Like, anybody who talks openly and honestly and shows that vulnerability, I, I've got so much respect for because A, it takes so much, but B, actually, I don't know if you're experiencing that, but there's great power and strength you can get from just putting it out there and going, this is what it is. This, is, this was my journey. By bottling that stuff up off the pitch, how is that affecting you going into training? So you know, going into possessions, going into keep balls, going into small-sided games at a level where, and I want to touch on this, you're surrounded by absolute 
winners, leaders. I, I, I was under Paul Insert, Milton Keynes for a year or so. You know, he was so, his mentality was night and day away from anything that I had seen in my football journey. It was brilliant. And a lot of the brutality and the very much you train as you play full intensity. If someone gets injured, stretch him off, there's someone else waiting. That mentality. Now, there was one. At Man United, you've got six, seven, eight, nine, ten of these characters. And it's, and it's intimidating. So when you've got that lack of self-esteem, which is absolutely natural at that time for what you were going through, how have you then crossed the white line into training? And to be fair, I think that the football, and I think you hear this a, quite a lot when people are going through different things, the football was a release. And I always sort of backed myself as a footballer. I think there was other reasons why I didn't really progress and have a career at Manchester United and not the reason that I went through this. I really don't think that was a massive part of me not making it there. But going in and like you say, another reason because I was playing with these warriors every day, you couldn't, you just get swept aside if you didn't sort of keep up. So it was always sort of fighting and striving to stay with them, to stay with all these incredible players. So I think it was, the football was always something that I cherished. So the football side of it, go to training, play football, it'd be an absolute physical and mental huge challenge to stay with these guys. I don't think that was a real issue. That was a bit that was good going to train and do that. And enough away from it, it was the sort of, because I was always treated, like, as I mentioned earlier, as soon as I stepped in the club as a 14-year-old, I was always treated like everyone is at that football club incredibly, incredibly well. There was never any sort of issues where I was treated badly at Manchester United and that sort of added to my problems and made me upset. It was always the stuff completely outside the club that I'd had no control over, which was really affecting me in a negative way. What was the support like in the club? Was anyone aware that you were going through that stuff? No, there, there was no support whatsoever. There was no support at home because I was so good at just... Masking it. Making it... People had, like, if a couple of the young lads that I grew up with at United might have a bit of a laugh about me being on the telly and they were taking a piss out of me the night before. And I'd be, my initial reaction would be just to laugh along with them as if to, like, it weren't bothering me. If anyone, my mum or my dad said, does that bother you? I'd say, no, no, it's fine. It's just part of, part of the job and that sort of thing. So I was, got so good at just shielding myself from it that I had no support. But the reason I had no support is because you didn't offer up. No. no, exactly. I can relate to that. And I, there, there's no industry like it, is there, in terms of having to put that mask on? You know, and you obviously at that, that highest level, which I can, you know, I've not been near that, where the stadiums are that big, where the pressure's that big. And then obviously at a club like that, where you just, winning is just expected every single week. So, you know, that mask has to be big and strong, doesn't it? Because it will just spit you out if you can't cope with that. Yeah, exactly. I think there was times when I was sort of close to maybe cracking. I remember a time I, at Bolton and Fulham, I got off the bus or I don't know if the game may have finished. And I don't even know if I'd played or not, but I was walking back and there's some lads sort of just giving me dog's abuse, but sort of following me down. And I, I didn't know what to do. I didn't really have the confidence in myself to, to confront them. So I just sort of take it all, looking at the floor as I walked back and I was sort of, a couple of times then when I was close to thinking if I do this anymore, just from that sort of thing. Because I just didn't know. I was so embarrassed 
in terms of they were talking about my appearance, which is sort of something that happens in a school playground and that sort of thing. How are you meant to deal with it? Should and I, in my head, I was thinking, surely this shouldn't be affecting me this much, which is making me feel like I must be stupid. Why is this making me feel like that? Because it's just a, a childish thing. So I think it was just a, a case of going through school and not putting any effort in really and leaving school and the next day moving up to Manchester as a 16 year old and then everything's just football, football, football. And I never really took that time to learn about myself and knowing how to deal with situations like this. So, as, as always with these conversations, you know, I never really have a script, Luke. You, you know, you, we, we, we talked for 10 minutes before we started, but things just trigger me into, into going to different places. And the, the, shame, the shame that comes, you, you said, Ben, it, you know, when, when people attack you for your looks or whatever they're attacking you for, it's the shame, isn't it, of I can't open, I can't speak up. What is it? Is it me? And, and uh, my, my hero growing up was Eric Cantona. So uh, you, did you cross paths? So I was a schoolboy. I'd, I'd saw him, I had the fortunate enough to see him a couple of times. But when I'd moved up as a scholar, he, I think that was just, he'd just left the club then. Well, he was my hero because I remember being in a game at Norwich and, and just the aura of him. And I was on the away dressing rooms at Carrow Road. So I was, uh, you know, doing the jobs with a couple of us and went in and sweeping up and strapping. And, and at the time, he was my hero. But, you know, what I know now, looking back, is exactly what it was that blew me away and what that aura is. People say aura. It's self-respect and it's self-knowledge and self-awareness. And if I look at him, he had it in abundance. You know, he never would let, he never sell out on who he was, did he? he his emotional tools were so powerful. Um, and I, I don't know if you can elaborate on that further or things you hear or think, what's your views on all that? I just think he, his, his self-respect and his self-worth just yeah. magnetic, you know. And I, I think that like a lot of big top world-class players are like that it's sort of how do they get that I don't know it's obviously it's some it's not something that you're you're born with it's an innate innate quality that everyone has to improve on but I think it's them the sort of player that sort of understands themselves from a real young age and sort of goes through the process learning about themselves they take it away from not being just football mm. I think too many young players myself included and still now it is it just turns into, it's all about what you do on the pitch. It's not about what you're, you're thinking about, what you're learning about yourself, because that is probably the most important thing that sets aside the top, top elite players to the, to the players in it, like me that have had decent careers in the game, but not at that real top world-class level. And, and, and it's interesting there, you said about nature and nurture. Um, well, I, I've written here, nature and nurture. You know, is it something you're born with? I, I, I believe, I, I believe that, that it's Ill, for every human being, it's twofold. There has to be some kind of nature, and then it's the nurture. And obviously, I read everything when I was playing. I was searching, searching, searching for, really searching for myself, searching for that player that I knew was in there, the one that was effortless at 16, 17, 18, that was scoring 30 goals a year, that got into the England youth sides that. Oh, that player, where, where did it go? Averaging 25 goals a season, 30 goals a season from 8 to 18. 
gets me into the first team at Norwich, scored at Wolves on my debut. Okay, we're going. Alongside Bellamy, who obviously within that same year went for six million quid to Newcastle or Coventry. And then I ended up within 18 months in League Two, hanging on on the bench. What is that? And actually, the nature is the same. My competitiveness, my competitiveness and my desire is, is up there with the best. But that I'm a sensitive guy, I'm a deep guy, and I overthink and overanalyze stuff. And I just think, I look at Cantona and that, I've read every book on it, and the upbringing that brought up in the heart of France, in the south of France, not, not about materialism. It was all about, it was all about love and care and, uh, and family and emotion and authenticity and just real stuff. And, you know, you think that's got so much weight to carry, isn't it, when you're growing somebody or nurturing somebody? Yeah, without a doubt. Like you say, it's, you have, we're all born with something, but it's, it's how that is is nurtured as we grow up, how we sort of learn whatever industry we go into in the end. I think it's, um, it's massively important that you believe in yourself, like you say, but I think at times I'm probably guilty of that sometimes where it's the ones that just go out and play on the, when they're on the big step, it looks like particularly Lionel Messi, it just looks like he's on the school playground. He's just going to, to have a game with his mates. I do really believe it's the ones that can part that stuff and not overthink things that can just go and play with that freedom on the pitch that tend to have the best careers and look like they're enjoying their industry more than most others. And look, I think, I think for some people that's natural and you'll probably say that some people find it easier to... It's a ruthlessness. It's a, it's a, what, what, what I, I can go so many places with it. What I see constantly is the, a lot of mates of mine who've had top careers and are coming to the end of their careers. I, I struggle to connect emotionally with them anymore. I've done a shit ton of work on myself because I've, I've had to, there was no choice. But even though the careers they had, it's that painful to survive football. It's that painful week in, week out to be judged at all levels, but especially the higher. You're judged. Nothing's ever good enough. You're either in or out come Sunday, Saturday, whereas in any other job, you're not in or out. So there's all of these things which separate football. And I think it's so painful to keep enduring it. But actually, the ones who really go on are the ones who become ruthlessly ice cold, who morally could be questioned at times for the way they live their lives. That's the truth, as I was at times. Um, and actually, when you're, a, and I think this is why there's such issues for young lads coming through now, there's a lot of intelligent, sensitive young guys who are still driven and passionate and good players, but the ruthlessness and the ice coldness of what it's gonna take come 18, 19, 20, it just, it just destroys them by the time they get there. So. What tools do you think you, and, and in your job now, it's really relevant in your role, I guess. What tools do you think could be given to these guys to prepare them better for that? I think it's the most important thing in the world is the relationship you've got with yourself. So if you know yourself, then I think you're capable. Like you say, you've got to have that ruthlessness and desire and whatnot to get to the top. But it's sort of separating it from that. I think once you come to the end of your football career, whatever age that could be, 
you're still a young man, even if you finish at 40, there's still so much ahead of you. So I think you've got to really understand yourself to have, because when in 50 odd or 70 odd years time, when I'm 110 and I'm on my deathbed ready to let go of this wonderful earth, I think I'm not sure if it will be how well I played in certain games that I'll be thinking about. I think it's the most important thing to be would be how I'm remembered as the person, the father, the friend, the son, the brother, that means everything to me. So I think it's so important that that ruthlessness doesn't then affect the way that you live your life after. I think the, the real skill is that separating everything. So football, you make it your life. You want that to be your job. You want to be world-class, but there's still something at the end of it because like, not even if you're an incredible player, at the end of anyone's career, there's a massive transition from going from the sportsman to another part of your life, another industry. And it is a real tough thing to do. And I think if you give it everything at football, which you have to do, there has to be other stuff as well. There has to be that separation. So you're not just loop the footballer at the end of it, you loop the person as well. And I think too often it is in your own mind, you're just a footballer. And now what? You're 35 years old, but, you feel like there's nothing left ahead of you. I, I think, sorry, I keep filling with the, the battery thing on there, but I'm listening to everything. Um, re- relationship with self, you said, is the most important thing. I couldn't agree more. Goes back to Cantona. What I always felt about him is he knew who he was. And if you're going to come and racially abuse me from the terrace, no problem, I'm going to punch you in the mouth. That's what it looks like. It, completely authentic. Completely real. You know, and, and that, for me especially my work today, if there was one thing I'd try and... Oftentimes, it's leading people back to themselves, that lost self. So they get to 2021. Well, what would you... And I heard Raheem Sterling say something fascinating last year, season before, when he started scoring all these goals. And obviously, before, he wasn't known as being as prolific. And they said to him, a guy from the BBC, what is it, Raheem? What, what, can you, what have you done this year? And he just looked at the guy and said, I've done nothing. I scored goals at 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17. What happened at 17, 18 is I started listening to too many people, started watching too much, reading too much, and now I don't, I don't listen to anybody. So he said, if you're going to give three things for young players, listen to nobody, listen to nobody, and listen to nobody. Now, you could see the journalist was a little bit, that's a bit arrogant, but... I don't think people realise how tough it is, and especially at that summit where you're right at the top. And, and I think, listen to that, I thought, there it is. And young players, oh, Raheem Sterling, what do you think of his training? I said, forget his training. Forget what he's doing in the gym. When he crosses the white line, this is me. Give me the ball. I, I'm going to give it away. I'll fail. I'll go and get it again. You know, and, and, and I'm going to risk and I'm going to try. I said, and that's the bit that I feel can get kicked out of players, keeping that. That, 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 who you are. Yeah, I completely agree. I think we've, I had spells when I played at MK Dons myself with Carl Robinson and we used to have meetings and he used to real emphasise the point of go back to that school playground, go back to why you're playing the game. If you're having a, the team was in a rut, it's, this is not the reason you're in football. The reason you're in football because of that 10, 11-year-old out on the school playground with cuts all over his knees, jumping back off, up again, getting the ball again, because that's what you love doing. If, you, if, you're in, if you're lucky enough to get a professional contract and you're in the game, you may as well just enjoy it. I mean, there's so many voices come in and someone, everyone wants to tell you what to do, like you were 
alluding to there, but all you can control is yourself. The most important thing is when you come out of the game at, as a player at 35, 36, you had a career that you still love it. You're still in love with that game that you was when you was a little nine, ten-year-old boy. And I think too often we fall out of love with a game, which is a, a horrible thought, really, because that, that's your whole life. Your whole life as a footballer was what you started doing as a small child. And, and it will lead on to what you're doing now. But it's, it's you know, I want to harbour on this point because mental health is a massively talked about subject at the moment. I've always suffered. Um, you know, I, 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 I suffer now with the fact that if I don't get up in the morning and do some meditation and do some reading and have some prayer and some quiet time, if I don't settle myself down before the day begins, I can be up here very quickly going, shit, what are we going to do now? Where are you going to be next week and next year? And oh, you shouldn't have just, and actually just putting the brakes on there. And the reason I've learned those tools is because as a player, I couldn't put the brakes on. Part of that is the, the, the drive. Um, <laughs> I go around it, but mental health, I think there's this slogan, just talk, isn't there? And I think it's got weight to it. I speak to guys, in my experience, I spoke to three managers when I was a player, and all before the age of 23. I didn't do it again after 23. I learned that if I open up truly about what's going on and the fact that I didn't play well, but to be honest with you, my confidence has gone a bit at the moment. Um, when the ball's coming into me, I don't really want to have a touch, I just want to help it on. And I, I made that mistake twice because very quickly I was seen as, well, we can't trust him. What kind of mentality is that? I don't know. Well, I do know. <laughs> As the game changed massively like that today, not the conversations I have, it hasn't. And, it, and it's heartbreaking, isn't it? Because, and I don't think it can change until those coaches, leaders, managers have done, with the help of the FA, that, that work on themselves and going back into their own career, going, hang on a minute. I felt like that. When I was a player, there was many times where I didn't think I was good enough. And they almost walked like, no, I never, I never felt that. No, no, I don't really know what you're talking about there. Really? Yeah, it is all about that education. Like, it's, I think things are improved, but it's going to take a hell of a lot more. I mean, it's all very well, like, I've done it last week, whatever, just saying, just talk. But it's not just a case of just talk. If it was that simple, then everyone would do it, so there wouldn't be any real problems. It is such a, a challenge, and I think it's the education around at younger ages, learning about ourselves more, having that emotional intelligence. Like you say, them real leaders that are in charge of these players and they've got to take things on board. Because it'd be like you where you've done it twice at a young age and then never considered doing it again. I'd play never in a million years. There's probably one person I ever spoke about how I was feeling to. That was John Gorman at MK Doms because he was such an amazing man that made me feel comfortable enough to do it. I'm not saying... The other people weren't incredible people, but I'd just never, ever do that. I'd never make myself look weaker in front of people. And that's part of the problem, my attitude and people's attitude towards mental health. But no, it's going to take a huge switch in how we think about things. I do think it's improving. I think it'll be much better again in 10 years' time. It's how, how do we help young players, not just young players, how do we help everyone now to sort of have more emotional intelligence and know that it's fine to talk about their problems because it will make 
the, it's not going to make the problem go away, but it's going to make it such a weight of your mind when you do mention it. The first time it is so awkward, but like everything else, it's once you get it as part of your, you're used to doing it, it makes things easier and easier the more you do it. So it's just finding a way of making it easier for young people to, well, like I say, all people to open up a little bit more. And I've written the word identification down here as you're talking. When, when, when you go into uh, recovery, 12-step recovery meetings, whatever it is, drink, gambling, whatever your thing is, the most, it, it's the most powerful process, Luke, that I've ever seen in my life. Um, many, many stories of people who were beyond help in psychiatry and traditional practices went to a recovery 12-step meeting and were, were completely solved of all their ailments. And I know, I know why, because it's identification. When you sit in that room for an hour, you sit and listen and everybody shares their feelings for three, four minutes. And you start to build identification. So you walk out 30 foot, what, 20 foot taller, you walk out because you're like, well, I'm the same as all of these. And it's such a tragedy because you have to go and find a church hall in candlelight on a Tuesday evening somewhere tucked away like you're doing something really wrong and actually the power of recovery is identification it's okay to think these things it's okay to not feel good enough to feel I'm never going to get there um I, I don't like my looks I don't like my weight I don't think I'm it's okay and in football I think I think the managers who are really successful and will go on to Ferguson's, I think they maybe do it subconsciously they take that fear away and they make you feel okay to, to go and express yourself and that, that identification. What, what, has that triggered anything in you? Yeah, I think um, in terms of Sir Alex Ferguson, because he sort of built that club, he had a hand in every single detail of the club because he phoned my mum up when I was 14, or it, not just me, do it for everyone. Because the second I stepped in the club, I wanted to work harder for him because he'd taken the time to do that. I was at the club as a first-team player and there'd be under 11, 12 academy boys in there and the manager would know their name. He'd know where they were from. He'd ask after a detail about them because he'd just know everything. And that was the genius of the man, to make people feel so important. And the dinner ladies, the kit, they were treated just as well as Roy Keane or Ryan Giggs because he'd have everyone wanting to work that little bit extra than they could possibly do for him. And everyone pulling in the same direction, you get success with that happening, of course, with the talent that he had at, at his disposal at the time as well. So I think that was the genius of Sir Alex Ferguson, was probably not his tactical nous, but his ability to build relationships with people, to the fact that all you wanted to do was make him say, well done. If he said well done to you, it felt like, the best feeling in the world. If he shouted at you, it weren't obviously scary because it was him, but the worst feeling was that you thought you'd let that great man down and you that was the last person you wanted to make down, let down. So I think it was the way he treated everyone and that environment that he built was the genius of him that made everyone feel good to be part of that club. It's funny, you just, again, you said build relationships. You know, again, in my, in my awareness of it, to build a relationship with, with anybody, starting with yourself to build that relationship means you need to be really self-aware and empathy and i read something really powerful the other day because again listening to a couple of stories by players last year about managers 
who've had decorated careers who are just managing at the moment. Um, and that lack of building relationships. And that, they're on the phone to me going, Why do you, how, do you, how can he now not understand? Like, as if he never went through that. Said, yeah, but what it took for him to, 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 to get through that would have been so painful. That it's easier to just block that part and bury it. And I think that then I read this brilliant thing the other day that said, when we block that part, we can't have empathy. And empathy is a tool for building relationships, isn't it? So that's the education piece. It's getting guys back in touch with their, with their, their selves. Yeah, I feel like, like the game's so ruthless and everyone's just trying to get ahead at times and get you. There's so little jobs there that if you get one, you can't show any weakness because you're in the door as a coach or a manager or as a player, you don't want to show weakness and it is all just your it's your ego really that just doesn't allow you to to speak about them feelings because you don't want to show any weakness but in hindsight showing weakness is probably your greatest strength if you want to improve as a footballer but more importantly improve as a person but because we want to so much stuff's locked away like you say if it's always locked away you can't move on and show that empathy to other people so you can't build real strong relationships with people it is and it's not just football I'm sure it's rife in all industries but the more we can accept our weaknesses how often do you have, I know in the past have arguments with people when deep down I must know I'm wrong but I keep going on and going on because my ego won't allow me to to give up on that point so it is it is so important just to it's fine to be wrong like the saying is it's fine not to be okay sometimes and the best way of dealing with that is showing a bit of weakness because that will make you stronger in the long run. Absolutely. And there's all this talk around the ego. It's become another buzzword. And, and, and actually, again, it's something that I really dug into. And what I realised about my recovery work was the collapse of ego, was that this ego, as long as my body fat was 6% and I look big and strong and the number nine and the back, I'm okay. And, and actually, you take it all away. Who are you? At source, who are you? Well, I'm, I'm driven. I'm kind. Um, very passionate, but very sensitive. So that's who I am. And again, you talk about where are the creative players? All the all the best, as you know, they 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 they're completely authentic, aren't they? They hang on to that, and it's yeah hard to do. Like you say, there the, the qualities you've just spoke about yourself there that that is you, isn't it? That was it was never the the number nine shirt or the the six percent body fat. That that was what is perceived to be because. That's life as a footballer. That is what you are known as, what number you are on the back of your shirt, what you look like on the pitch, how fast you can run. But what's more important and what's going to keep you going in your football career is understanding about yourself and knowing them positive qualities. So when things are going bad and you're not playing particularly well, that happens, doesn't it? But you're still all them things. You're still that fantastic person that you're, that you're describing there. Yeah. A word that, like courage, often people say, what, 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 I did a podcast today with some coaches in America and they said, you know, what, what do you think the biggest thing is? I said, it's courage. Courage is the, the number one thing. They said, you know, as a coach or a player, I said, courage. The best players have courage, the absolute courage to, to fail. The, hard, the scariest thing in football is the ball, isn't it? Because you, you give that away or you, someone nicks it and breaks on you and, you know... <laughs> 
And actually, the best people have courage. The best coaches have the courage. I heard Teddy Sheringham saying the other day that, I don't know if you saw that, it was a 30-second extract about the Champions League final and McLaren uh, got up and said there was what, 90 seconds left and they'd equalise, hadn't they? And getting the subs ready for extra time and Ferguson said, hey, sit down, you know. You know and, and courage, because most people go, that's realistic thinking. It's realistic. We've managed to nick a goal back. Let's get to extra time. But it, 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 for a player or a coach, the, the best... They back themselves under the most intense pressure. Yeah, and I think that courage is that sort of self-identity. I think the biggest courage you can be, like you're doing things your way, that's courage, isn't it? It's not going to smash someone in a 50-50 or going over the top so people think you're a big hard player. It's about having the courage to, to play your way, to coach your way. I know when I went into the academy coaching system, I probably come away from myself a little bit because I was doing it the same as everyone else. I didn't have that courage. I didn't know myself well enough. And it was just a case of do what everyone else is doing. But I don't know if that me being my, completely myself would probably get more and help other people a lot more than just being a clone of everyone else. That's really interesting. But so let's take it now, right? So say you were to go back in there today. What is, who is Lou? What do you stand for? What do you believe in at your core about, being successful and the best version of yourself? I think it's more the human qualities. It's not going mad because the left wing is not tucking in. But how's the best way? It's knowing, and we spoke again about the relationships. I think it's just about having the courage not to just shout things out because you think that's what's meant to be shouted out. It's about getting to know these young people and trying to make them the best version they can possibly be of themselves. Because at the end of the day, there's one percent of them are going to make it through to be a professional footballer, but a hundred percent are going to go on to have lives in different roles and have different responsibilities. So, what good can we pass on to these young people? And I don't, don't get me wrong. I don't think I did everything wrong. Oh. I think I could have done more to develop the person as much as potentially the next player to break through into the first team. But I think I think the reason courage is so hard is because the minute. I'll be honest with you, when I started social media, Luke, and still today, it takes a lot of courage for me to press upload or send or because you're putting yourself out there. You're, you're putting your beliefs on the world out there. And the minute you, you put your head up there, you're going to get pumps in the face, aren't you? And, 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 and you know, I, I think the overriding feeling I, I've always had and I tend to have today is, is loneliness. I'm surrounded by a couple of, you know, friends who who've been on that similar journey so actually similar mindsets but it's lonely it's lonely leading it's lonely having courage isn't it it's it's, it's really lonely because like you say you've got to you've got to put yourself out there and when I coach in the academy that oh who's back again Mr Loneliness why because no I don't I don't sign up for this I don't believe in this we went to Liverpool down to 14s and we won 4-0 and Fantastic, great. You know, go, get on the coach and everyone else has been beat six and seven, as they should by Liverpool's Cate Academy. We'd won 4-0 because been in, had them for two and a half months. Imagine them to... Sh imagine, imagine, uh, by then, I'd, I'd, I'd been able to show them what sweat was, what graft actually was, in, in what I thought it was, and, and, and just smile and, and fun and go and bail and dribble and give the ball away. 
And on the coach on the way home, we stopped at the services and I bought all the guys Coke and Mars bars and all that, and Haribo's. And, and, I, and I saw this look by four or five of the coaches and one of them had the courage to come over to me. He said, Drew, um, they, they all signed diet sheets. And I was like, what, what are they? They were like, they signed them at the start of the season. The family that, you know, while they're on club duty, they, I said, look, my friend, let me tell you something. I said, when they get to 18, it won't be Snickers and Mars bars. It will be snooze in the top lip. It will be balloons. It will be anything they can have to, 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 to escape their feelings. So if I can enable them to have their feelings, how do you feel? I feel amazing. I beat Liverpool. Have some chocolate then. I feel terrible. You know, like just, and I just, that, that was one of those moments. There was four or five in that year where again, I had the courage to put my belief out there and the loneliness loop I felt, you know? Yeah, and I think that's where you go back to, if you're going to be, feel that loneliness, that's when you've got to have that strength in yourself, but have that relationship in yourself. So, you know, if you're lonely, you've always got yourself to fall back on. So the, the loneliness, it makes it worthwhile because you're that outlier who's doing things differently and doing things how you truly believe and you're prepared to be lonely because you've got such an incredible relationship with yourself. I, I, I want to, so you're at Man United, it's match day, you've had the last words in the dressing room, you're in the tunnel. Um, what, what's your self-talk then on your good days and what's your self-talk on your bad days? And to be honest, at Manchester United, the, the majority of the time I didn't start many games so when I was in the starting 11 I'm in the tunnel I think that it is just pure emotion obviously really a little bit scared but so nervous nervous at the same time but that real excited nervousness so I think it was more as a young player at that age I think it was just more just go and play and the way that I played I just there weren't much variation to it every time I got the ball I'd try and run with it and sometimes it'd come off and sometimes it didn't, but it was probably having that bravery to keep doing it. But at the same time, that, that, that was me. They wanted me to do that. They wanted that same kid that played in the playground and ho- got called a bull hog all the time because he'd never pass the ball and go and try and score a goal every that's time. Really so just, that's really interesting. So was, that, was that, that was told to you, come what may, Luke, you're going to be that player. Do not, there's a, there's a Van Persie comment that I'm sure you've seen over the years when, when Ferguson said that, um, you know, imagine there's a seventy-year-old guy in that state. It's half night, it's half time, nil-nil, and he'd said to said to them, you know, he hasn't come here to watch people passing the ball sideways and backwards. And so, you were encouraged to go and just express and fail. And and you know, when you went on a mazy run and they nicked it and broke, was there that shout from the touchline that you've had in your other uh, other clubs? Hey, get hold of them. There'd certainly be shouts on the pitch, but because you're brought up in that, then it'd probably be forgotten because you'd run back just as fast as you'd run forward. I think that is really forgotten that Man United had all the best players, but how hard they worked. So the amount of runs Ryan Giggs went on and it'd get tackled a lot of the time, but the amount of times he'd run back and do that tackle where he sweeps the ball back and gets the ball back. So I think you're not... The reaction's there. The reaction's been built into you, so there's no need to really get that shout on or get that bollocking from the sideline because the second you lose it or get tackled and they're on the counter-attack, that mind switches from every single player and you're, you're running back as fast as you can. But I think it was, you have to grow as you learn. I'm sure if I stayed there a lot younger, there would have been times when I would have 
pass the ball off and not dribble so much. But I think that was what was seen as the main strength in my game. So as much as often to try and do that in the right areas of the pitch, sometimes in the wrong areas. But even though it's a Premier League game or an FA Cup game, you're there to, to find your own way. Like you say, you're the, the biggest coach in your own head, aren't you? You're the one that's got to learn from it. No one else can do it, do it for you. So it's up to you to, to learn your responsibility and know when to take a chance and try these things or when to do something, choose a simpler option. But uh, if we say like f- fear is the number one governor, isn't it? Fear runs the show in, in life, really. I mean, with the coronavirus, fear, 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 fear. At the, at the highest level, and, 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 and that at Man United, when it's very simple, you have to win. Fear is, is rampant and it's huge. So that leader has to be able to stare fear in the face, doesn't, don't they? And go, you cannot put that, you need to keep that energy out of the dressing room, don't you? But, but talk about it as well. Um, and I think I see a lot of that in my experience, but still conversations with guys today. And when I've walked back into football a couple of times in the pro game, I've gone in and done some stuff with managers and, and privately I'm like, are you, are you all right? And I'm like, well, and I'm like look, I'm just going to be honest with you. They can sense it. They'll sniff it. They can smell it on the training ground. They can smell it when you walk in, when you, too much 11 v 11, too much shape. I said, you, you've got to be out of stare at fear. Are you okay? And that was when I said to manager, what are you scared of? And it's, that, it's a revolutionary question, isn't it? Because I ask myself it a lot, but they're like, well, what do you mean what am I scared of? I'm like, well, I'm shitting myself every day about a million things. Like, what? So that culture, that, that Sir Alex Burton staring fear in the face and you going on the pitch, dominating fear as a team, as an individual, really. Yeah, and I, I think that is what the real top, top players and managers can deal with they're self-aware enough to to realize what I think with Sir Alex it was a case he's done it for so long that fear had moved away I think for me when you first go in you're sort of fearless as a as a young player going into the team I think as time went on I think there was times when the club weren't winning games and I would start feeling that sort of anxiousness from the crowd because we we're getting beat at Old Trafford and you would start to feel that little bit of fear that probably the top, top players in that team wouldn't feel or could know how to deal with it better than that. And then maybe didn't take responsibility of trying to run with the ball and make something happen. Just more happy just taking a simple option and making sure that the ball stayed in the team and probably not being brave enough to try and be the one that the spark that, that changes the game. It's really interesting. You say top players deal with that fear. I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. Um, and, 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 and I look at probably, probably what... 500 odd games, 5% of best, 5% of best did I beat fear. So maybe, and that's including pre-season games and all. 5%, I reckon, did I play absolutely effortlessly. effortlessly. And when the voice went, you know, you've just missed an open goal there. It's nil-nil. Just laugh at it and go, God. You know, like, such a tragedy. Now, completely agree. I'd say, but mom pretty much the same throughout my career there was always that element of of fear in it and every even with other walks life there's fears there's times now where I've really probably just got over finishing playing where I do feel a lot of the time fearless in all situations with what I'm dealing with and that sort of thing but 
it's probably taken that football career to get to what I am now because without a shadow of a doubt, I can't, there was always some trepidation, some little fear in more or less every single time I stepped on the training pitch, stepped on the, the pitch to play. And actually, what's interesting is that those top players and you've been around them, you know when you take a Roy Keane or that mentality or a, it's actually the ones, I looked at Michael Jordan on the, on the last dance thing and the ones with the biggest fear, I'd say Keane and the Jordan have probably got the most fear inside them of not winning, of not fulfilling who they are. And so that's what drives them through the war to almost an insane level of, insane level of drive, isn't it? Just insane. Yeah, I think that's like right at the other end of the spectrum where your fear is that you're not going to be the best, which must be not the pressure you put on yourself to do that. I can't imagine that must be so huge. And uh, that probably drives them on that little bit of fear that they're not going to be the, the best this season or the best in this game, which I think is obviously a, a healthy thing in terms of your performance. But again, when it's you, the game's taken away from you, I think that's when it can be a real struggle for people, well, for, for all people involved in professional sport. Mate, it's been really fascinating. Let, let's finish. So, so now you're, um, explain a little bit about what you're doing now. So now I'm doing something completely different. Well, still involved in football, but it's an organisation called the Football Fun Factory. So as the name would suggest, it's all around having fun playing football. We've got programmes from children from two to 12 years old and it is just a case of the first involvement of football being a fun one, not a development programme where you're going to go and get into an academy or anything like that. It's purely about enjoying football and using football as a real vehicle to develop positive life skills like teamwork, communication and just positive things that will help build you as a person. But the be all and end all is having a smile on your face, kicking a ball about. Brilliant, mate. It's brilliant. And, and I think the thing is, you know, that, that it's such beautiful qualities to, to offer up for, for kids. And I've got kids and, you know, but, but really, I, I, I talk to my daughter all the time. She's eight. But I've always tried to just drip feed bits and bobs into her about, you know, it's that old line. Someone it's profound said it about, you know, fear is, fear is not absence of courage. Fear is Fear is always there. It's the courage to come through it. That's, you know, or courage is not in the absence of fear. Courage is when fear is staring at you. So I think it's a really important message, isn't it? And, and, and to say that fear is okay. It's absolutely all right to be terrified. It's about don't bury it. You know, get it out, look at it, stare at it. Oh, exactly. Yeah. Like every day there's, there's, there's worries, there's everything. We've all got mental health it's the same as your physical health it just fluctuates up and down so the best way is to try and keep on that even keel but sometimes it's going to dip down and when you're dipping down into low mental health you want to bring it back up and I think the quickest most effective way of doing that is dealing with it by opening up and talking to each other about it because I guarantee I've got fears today and you're going to have them as well and we're going to us talking about them is going to make us both have a, a better day so I think it's so important that the message is continually knocked out there that we keep talking to each other and opening up about our feelings because it's not weakness, it's making us stronger people. Yeah, and, and, and I, 
for me, my, my, my mental health was just a build-up of fear. You know, just built, 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 built. And sooner or later, that energy is that strong. You're going to need to escape it somehow. It's too powerful. And that's when you turn to other stuff. So I think, you know, this just talk, it's just about, I can only share my fears with someone who I feel won't shame me for that or won't look at me like, what are you talking about? What's up with you? You know, that, that's then when it can become a little bit dangerous because that then would make me go even more. I'm, I'm, I'm weird, I'm mad, I'm mad, I'm, you know. Yeah, completely. That's the that's thing. I think the more people that are aware that this person's opening up to you, they, they think of you that highly. It's your responsibility to, to listen and not judge. I think not judging is, as a footballer, we judge, as a player, you judge people immediately, don't you? When they come in the dressing room, a new player, which is completely wrong. You've got, you can't judge people. You've got to give them the freedom. But not judging, I think we give people the freedom to express themselves and get these things out in the open, whether it be positive thoughts or negative thoughts that people are going through. Give them that opportunity to express themselves because everyone deserves that. There was a, something just came to me. There was a, there was a moment, there's a couple of moments where I've seen Rio Ferdinand talking on TV and there was a moment, it was a Barcelona home game in the Champions League and the cameras had gone to the tunnel and, you know, the Barcelona players were walking across and hugging the other guys and they were laughing, joking, obviously knew each other from internationals or whatever it was. And he went back to the studio and he commented, I, I can't have that, Gary, I can't understand that. You know, it's, it's game time, you stare down the tunnel, it, it's all about the next 90 minutes and... And I thought deep down, therein lies an issue. Now, Rio Ferdinand, a brilliant footballer, everything that he carries a man, top class. But I can't sign up for that. These are the best players in the world. And the reason they can hug each other and embrace is because there's no fear out on that grass. That, that guy I'm playing about can't affect me. That defender that Messi's hugging can't affect him. At the end of the day, if he has the courage to go and dribble, good luck if the guy's a better defender than him. Or, but there's this mindset that, and as Rio said that, I thought, that's what the game does to you. It, it doesn't allow you to, to be in that tunnel and just go, I might not play well today. I might not be enough. I might not be quick enough. I might not. But I think I'm pretty good. I think I'm, so let's go, man. Let's, let's just go and see what happens. And I thought, that message is not the right message. And... Johnny Wilkerson has come out and said a similar thing post-career, that he used to be locked in the toilet cubicle for the big games and got to play well, got to play, and it's right, right, game time. And it's like, no, I'm just good. I'm good enough. You know, what does that trigger in you? Yeah, I'm a, I'm a great believer that everyone should be free to, to... So if someone's comfortable doing a cuddle there, some people might want to stare down a tunnel. It's, I think it's all up to the individual I don't think it's right for anyone to say that's not right because we talk about it wanting to be like back on the school playground playing a game like that so then why are they going out to have fun that's what we want them to do we want them to go and have oh, fun yeah. I never playing football. an imaginary tunnel when I was on the school playground and, and this, exactly. is not, this is not not an attack on Rio Ferdinand at all I think what he was sharing is actually a common mindset in the game and in life that when it's serious right it's game time well it's always game time. You're always, you don't go out there to go, right, I'm just going to walk around today, get beaten in every header and tackle. <laughs> you know, but, but under the gun in the biggest games, it's so hard to be able to just go, you're good enough. Uh, 
you don't need to go and find anything. Um, James Beatty, I heard, I did a talk with him last year, and he told a story similar that when he, when he used to play against Rio when he was at Southampton, he used to be very much, stick it on Rio, first header I'm going to... He said, no, he was sharing, he was at a mental health talk, and he was sharing on fear. And he said, I used to see the fear in, in his eyes. And every time I played against him, I found it easy because fear, would, he could just bully, bully that fear. And he, now he was a coach and he's doing his pro license. He was very much saying that actually, if we were really comfortable and we can create that comfortable place in our skin for everyone, if someone goes, put it on him, I'm going to win it. If you're comfortable, you kind of go, you, you might do. And laugh, you can turn around and go, you might do. But I'm pretty strong, I'm pretty quick. I'm a decent player and we'll see, we'll see at the end of an hour and a half how it, how it works out. But blocking that fear and locking it down and, no, oh, I'm ready, it, it, it's dangerous stuff. You know, it's dangerous stuff. Yeah, no, it all comes back to life and death. I think we can take it away from the football pitch. You can take it anywhere you want, really. But it is all about all you really want in life is to, to feel, feel comfortable and enjoying what you're doing. So I think really locking things away and keeping them deep inside is going to, it's going to come out eventually. Like you say, that if keeping kept inside for too long, it can come out in real negative ways. It can really affect you in a, a real bad way. So I think it is just dealing with it, talking about it and finding that way of just being comfortable in yourself. Yeah. Yeah. I absolutely agree. I think the things that have jumped out at me, out for me from this chat is fear, courage. And you've said it a couple of times, Luke, you know, knowing yourself and that self-awareness. Um, I don't think that ever stops, does it? You're still every, you're getting to know yourself all the time. There's always more you can learn. I think I've always, even despite all the bad things that have affected me badly have gone through, I think I've always loved myself, but I just don't think I've ever really known myself at the time. I think I'm still really getting to know myself now. It's sort of, if I could have done that at, 16, 17 years old, if I'd gone through an education, I knew myself, then I probably could have dealt with things better as an 18, 19 year old boy when I went through struggles in my life. Yeah. Like you say, it never, it never goes on. But how, how do you, what would you leave with people in terms of that journey of getting to know yourself? How, do, how, do, how does that look for you? What do, what do you do to try and know yourself more? I think it's just really trying to, Think about why I'm thinking some ways, why I deal with the same situations the same ways and just working with it. I think from the second I left Man United as a footballer, I think I become a lot more comfortable because I weren't under the spotlight so much. So then I think I went on a long process of then really knowing myself, learning about myself. And I think it's the ability to, to park the ego to one side that we've all, that everyone's got, but then... I think that allows you to to open yourself up and say things that you probably wouldn't normally say. But I think even if you just say them out loud, it does it makes yourself feel better and it, you understand yourself a little bit more about your fears, your dreams, your aspirations. Yeah, there's still huge problems with with that in football. Ego, really. I was speaking to a lad the other day. They're just drip feeding back into clubs, and and he said it's, it's mad. You know, he said I, I've used this time to to really do the work on myself. He said, I know we'd, we'd started a year or so ago, Drew, but you know, my, 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 my breathing work every morning, my meditation, my prayer, my written journals. My, he said, no, I, 
I'm walking in, I'm just like, just horizontal. Nothing can affect me at the moment, but I, I'm doing a half an hour, 40 minutes every morning, and it's brilliant. And he said, but it's mad. You walk back into the club and you can smell, touch, feel, taste the ego, the, which is all fear-based. All egos, fear-based. So you can just, it's all there again. Lads, what do you think is going to happen with the contracts? What do you think is going to do? And then a coach. And, a and it's just to break that ego or to, 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 to give that understanding of how we get through that ego is just going to be the key to everything, isn't it? Mental well-being, winning, all this stuff. Yeah, that, and I think it's, it is a case of, of parking it. And I think you do need that little bit of ego on the pitch where you sort of give me the ball, let play and that sort of thing. I think off the pitch is where it can be parked and there's no, there's nothing, all you can do to become a good footballer is what you do on the pitch. There's nothing that you can do off the pitch in terms of, I'm not talking about in a gym and obviously that sort of thing is really important. But once you're away from the ground, you're in the dressing room, you're not trying, I don't think that that ego really helps you in any way to to progress as a footballer but more importantly to to become the person that, that you want to be everyone wants to be a good person I don't think anyone's there thinking I want to be a dickhead or I want to be someone that's horrible everyone deep down wants to be that that person that they they aspire to be it's really interesting I, I, I was going to start to wrap it up but you've just said something I really want to go into it is that oh all performers need that little bit of ego. And it's something that people say a lot. And again, I think because of the gravity of the circumstances I was in post-playing, you really had to deal into this destruction, deconstruction of the ego that I went through. And understanding that my ego was all fear-based. So my ego was a, was a constraint that I constructed, a mind-made version of myself. And actually, those days when my ego had been shattered, and then I played, I was really good. I didn't have a clue what had happened. But when I needed to chase and fight and scrap, I, I just did it. Not with, right, face and ch just I just did it. Because maybe, just maybe, inside me, there's a natural drive that was that kid who always pushed harder, wanted it more. So actually, it's, I, I think there's still that belief that, and I'm not, I'm not at all knocking what you said. I think it's, it, it, it's, it's opened an interesting debate. Needing ego. And actually, for me, I, I, I believe I don't need any ego. I just need, I need to know who I am. So when I'm standing in the tunnel, if it was a footballer, to go, I, I know I'm pretty strong. I know I'm pretty quick. I know I'm a decent athlete. I know my touch is all right. I know I'm okay. He might be better than me. He might be so much better than me. And, but I'm going to go out there with the lads today and run around. And when that voice goes, you're tired, push through it. And let's just see. You know, and generally when I was growing up, that's what I did. And that's why I'm here today. Whereas the ego wants to say, look stronger. You know, make sure you stand up tall and, and make sure. You, and that's all fear. And I guess when I look at those top players and I watch those tunnel cameras in the Champions League, I love it. Because they're just so relaxed. It's like... They believe in themselves. That's the difference in ego. Ego's false, whereas belief, or Cantona, pure belief, trust, value, isn't it? Whereas there wasn't any fear inside him. It was just, this is who I am. You know. I, no, yeah. And I, I feel like wrong with that, or, or you know, your um, the way you explain it there is really clear. Like my knowledge of the word ego is probably not. I'm sort of talking about them things that real sheer confidence 
arrogant, like to go and do them things. But the way you talk about it there, that is probably just pure belief rather than a massive ego. It's, it's you because you are that good. Yeah. Well, it, it's you when you just used to pick the ball up and just beat five players. I mean, it's incredible, right? It, it's, it's ridiculous, but... Yeah. You just do it. You, you, there's, no, there's no fear. Ego is fear, isn't it? That, well, now, now I'm Luke Chadwick. Now I'm number X on my back. Now I've got... That's all. That's all false. It's not the truth, is it? You know? Yeah, I hear what you're saying. Yeah, I, I completely understand. That. Well, I appreciate you triggering it because it really made me think... Because it's something that, because uh, lads say to me all the time, do you need a bit of ego, Drew? I said, uh, not, not for me. You, you need to stand there and go, this, this is me. And deep down, I know I'm, I'm good enough. So Yeah, I think it's understanding what that, that word ego means yes. in terms of, it's a fine line between that sheer belief and what can look like a big ego. I think it's that understanding of separating the two. Yeah. Well, and I think I had to do that because I was so lost and so caught up that I didn't know which part, where's the ego stop? Where's the self? Yeah. You, you've made me understand that with that self-awareness and you, you keep talking about the importance of it. So, um, mate, I've, I've, I'm wary of the time. We could talk for ages. I love these kind of conversations and I'm really grateful for your time, mate. That's um, been a pleasure. Really, really grateful. Uh, carry on the, the brilliant work you're doing and, and keeping that smile on people's faces. and. Um, Stay in touch, mate. I really appreciate everything you've done. Top man, Drew. I'm sure we'll catch up soon, mate. Thanks. Thanks, buddy. Take care.